Many of you will remember this picture, this stained glass window, right? Remember that one from the old building? Uh, that was a, one of our two big stained glass windows. This one showed Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Uh, it, it was there in the building uh, for years and years. It's one of the earliest images, in fact, that we have of Jesus is that of Him portrayed as the Good Shepherd. If you look at this picture, the one on the left is a very, very early painting done in the third century of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. The other is a mosaic. Again, Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Both of them you know, very, very, very old. But it seems to be one of those earliest images that we have and one of those earliest uh, images that, that really struck people of Jesus. That image of Him carrying His lamb, surrounded by sheep. It, it speaks to us. It speaks of His comfort. It speaks of His care. It speaks of the way that He nurtures us. I think it makes Psalm 23 a lot more personal. And we understand the Lord is my shepherd a little better with an image like that. I also think it's odd that it touches us because America has never been a shepherding culture. We, we, we never really have been. Uh, America is about ranches. America is about big ranches and, and fences, barbed wire fences. And even, even now, when we see people who raise sheep, they have sheep dogs, and those dogs are not used to lead the sheep as much as they are used to drive the sheep, herd the sheep. And so I, I think we struggle to comprehend this very personal image uh, that follows us all the way through Scripture. You go all the way back to the beginning. The Lord is our shepherd. We see God as the shepherd. You, you go to Exodus, and, and it is Moses who has served for 40 years as a shepherd. We go to King David, the shepherd boy who became a king. And then, of course, we find it fully realized in Jesus as the good shepherd. And that's what we're looking at today in John chapter 10. We're going to be beginning in verse 11. If you want to use one of those blue Bibles that's in front of you, it's page 896. We're looking at Jesus as the good shepherd. You know, an actual, an actual shepherd, a man by the name of Philip Keller, has written this little book. He was born in East Africa. He raised sheep in a situation in a world that was very similar to what Jesus would have seen in, in, in his time, would have seen as far as shepherds are. The book is called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Has anyone read this? It's been around for, for years and years. Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. And Philip talks about his own experience growing up as a shepherd boy. And he remembers a, a, tenant, shepherd, or a tenant sheep farmer in the pasture next to him. The, the man didn't own the sheep, and so he didn't care about the sheep. So Keller noticed that his sheep would eat brown grass. They would drink out of mud puddles. They, they never had enough hay in the winter. Their master didn't care because the sheep didn't belong to him. And because of that, they were destined for the slaughterhouse. And in the book, Keller observes, I have become increasingly aware of one thing. It is the master in people's lives who makes a difference. It is the master in people's lives who makes a difference in their destiny. And I hear that very informed view from a shepherd. And I realize we need to understand Jesus as our shepherd. Not, because, not just because we are His flock. Not just because we follow him, but because there are others around us, others that we know in our community, in our families, in our 
sphere of friends or sphere of influence. There are others we encounter every day who are destined for the slaughterhouse. They hunger and they starve because they lack a shepherd. And so this is us. This is us, the shepherd and his flock. We don't understand the shepherd without the flock. And so it isn't just about knowing who Jesus is. This is also about knowing who we are together. We cannot be the flock without a shepherd. And he cannot be our shepherd if we don't follow him. And we cannot follow him unless we follow him together. The good, when the good shepherd calls us, he calls us together. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now those three verses right there tell us everything we need to know about the relationship of shepherd and flock, Jesus and us. Those three verses tell us that there is, there is safety in the presence of the shepherd. John 10, the good shepherd passage, has been referred to as the only parable in John's Gospel. All three other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all make heavy uses of parables. They show Jesus teaching parables. John doesn't have any unless you count the good shepherd. And really, it's more of an extended metaphor and that's for those of you who are with us on Wednesday night. We talked about different figures of speech in the Bible. In John 10, the, the good shepherd is kind of an extended metaphor. But it calls us to understand who Jesus is, that he is our shepherd. And it's important to notice why this passage is here, plopped down right in the middle of John's gospel in John chapter 10. If you were to back up and go to John chapter 9, you find a story of Jesus healing a blind man. You may have heard this story before. He reaches down, he scoops up some dirt, he spits in it, he makes mud, and he puts the mud on the blind man's eyes. He tells him to go wash in the pool, and the man receives his sight. Now, it just so happens <laughs> that when Jesus does that, it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath, a day you're not supposed to do any work at all. And there are some people who had a problem with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Those people were the Pharisees. Pharisees had a problem with that. Did you know that the Pharisees referred to themselves, they fancied themselves to be the shepherds of the people of Israel. They called themselves Israel's shepherds. And so back in chapter 9, when after Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, the, the Pharisees, the shepherds of Israel, say in verse 16, this man is not from God. Jesus is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. A few verses later in verse 24, they tell the man who's been healed, we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And then a little later on in chapter 10, verse 20, they tell him that Jesus either has a demon or he's insane. And so these who are the shepherds, these who think of themselves as the shepherds, they are dividing the flock they are accusing Jesus. They are the ones setting the flock against each other. And might I remind you, they are also the ones who are not healing blind men. And so Jesus here in chapter 10, He has to say, no, no, no. I am the good shepherd. 
And as such, he separates himself from those other shepherds of his day, those who would be just hired hands. The distinction is they don't own the sheep. They don't love the sheep. They have no interest in the sheep. And so when trouble comes, the the sheep can't count on them for protection. But there's safety in the presence of the good shepherd. Jesus is promising us his flock. He's promising us his protection. You remember the story of David, the little shepherd boy who became king. You remember the story of David and Goliath. David goes to King Saul and says, let me have a shot at this guy. And King Saul says, what are you going to do? And David gives his pedigree. He says, when I was a boy, I kept my father's sheep. And if a lion came and attacked, my, attacked those sheep, I would strike it down. And if it turned on me, I would grab it by its beard and I would strike it and kill it. And this Philistine will be to me as those lions were. Why did David care so much for the sheep? Because they were his sheep. They belonged to him. He had an interest in their well-being. And beyond that, he loved those sheep. That's the promise of Jesus. He loves you. There is safety in his presence. And as Jesus continues, it's not just that he loves us. It's not just that he loves his flock, but also he knows you and he calls you by name. If you were to back up just a few verses here in John 10, in verse Three, you hear Jesus say, the sheep hear His voice. And He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. And when He has brought them all out on His uh, out, and when He has brought out all His own, He goes before them. And the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. Now everything I have read about sheep, and I've done a lot of reading about sheep this week, everything I've read about sheep tells me one thing. Sheep are dumb. And I've got a shepherd nodding his head with me right now. Sheep are dumb. Tim Keller confirms, or excuse me, Philip Keller confirms that in, in his book. He says, Sheep need a shepherd. They need someone to lead them. But as dumb as they are, they recognize their master's voice. And when they hear their, master, their master's voice, they respond. They will go towards the master, they will follow him. And so Jesus goes on in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus cannot be the good shepherd without knowing His sheep. Nor without His sheep knowing Him. They hear His voice and they respond to Him. This relationship is based on trust. We cannot merely claim Jesus as our shepherd. We have to prove it. We prove it by trusting Him, by following Him. It's not just a matter of saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm a follower. I I put Christian as my religion on Facebook. Every now and then I post something that's got a Scripture verse on it. I'm a Christian. It's a matter of devotion. It's a matter of love. My sheep know me just as I know the Father, and I lay my life down for them. Back in the 1980s, there was, a, there was a Palestinian uprising in Israel, as there often has been. The Palestinians were revolting against the mistreatment of the Israeli army. And so in punishment, because the Palestinians weren't paying their taxes, and in punishment, the Palestinians rounded up this village's livestock, this village, little village just outside of Bethlehem. 
they rounded up all of the village livestock and put them in a pit in a big in a big pen, a big a big barbed wire pen. All of these all this livestock together, sheep, goats, other animals, all of them together, and they wouldn't let the village have their livestock back. After a few days, this woman comes to one of the guards and she said, "Look, I am a widow. My husband is dead." I have nothing without my flocks. I cannot pay my bills. I cannot take care of my family. And I certainly can't pay my taxes, which pay you, unless I have my sheep. It took several days. She came back again and again and said, I, I need my sheep. I need my, 20, I need my 25 sheep for my flock. Finally, one of the guards just opened up the gate and he said, you want your sheep so bad, you go in there and get them. She motioned to her son. He reached in his pocket and he pulled out a little reed flute and he began playing a tune. And all of a sudden, among that sea of hundreds of animals, 25 sets of ears perked up. <laughs> and 25 little sheep heads turned and they trotted to the gate and they made their way up the hill and they followed their shepherd because they knew the sound of their shepherd. They followed him home. They knew the sound of their shepherd. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice they will listen hear that they will listen to my voice it's important for us every now and then to stop and ask whose voice are we listening to who is it that's got our attention just every now and then just stop and ask who's got my attention who's motivating me stop and think what is it that is driving me what is it that is leading me is it is it some celebrity who's got an opinion about something out there is it a politician that you that, that has you and is leading you is it someone in the news is it a is it a social media influencer who suddenly has your attention and and you'll do whatever they say ask yourself the question Who's, who makes me angry? Who makes me angry? Who makes me worried? Who makes me scared? Who touches my feelings? And what feelings are they touching? I love that we read our Bibles. Don't, don't ever hear me say, don't read your Bible, by the way. I, I should never say that. But lately, I've been thinking, we need to spend a lot more time in the Gospels. We need to spend a lot more time just reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and hearing the voice of Jesus. And then we need to stop every now and then, and when we get ourselves worked up, when we get angry, when we get worried, when we get scared about something, we need to stop and say, this voice that I've been listening to, this voice that I've been following, does it sound like Jesus? Does it sound like love your enemy? Does it sound like love my neighbor? Does it sound like care for the people who are hurting, care for the people who are broken, care for the people who have nothing? And if it doesn't, then we need to ask, who are we following? You see, it's more than just who are you following. It's, it is who are we following. You see, if Jesus is the good shepherd, then the good shepherd just has one flock. And we need to follow him together. There, there must be unity in the flock. And this is a key point that we need to hear as a church. And this is a key point in understanding who the good shepherd is and, and what the flock is. Je shepherds in Jesus' day, they only had one flock. Maybe a big flock, maybe a small flock, but they just had one. They didn't lead some sheep over here to the good grass and then lead the other sheep over to the bad grass. They didn't say, oh, here's some good water, here's some mud puddles for these sheep over here. It was just one flock. It's an image of unity, not just of our connectedness to Jesus, 
but that we are deeply connected, we are deeply committed to each other. Verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. These other sheep that he's referring to are Gentiles. People who are not of the Jewish faith. In other words, as far as I know, just about all of us here. He's talking about us. It's not just about the, the, the Jewish people who are following Him at this time, but those who will follow Him. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has Jesus telling His disciples, go into all the world, all the other nations, make disciples of, of all the people of all the nations, baptize them, bring them in to the flock. And then we read the book of Acts, and that's what they're doing. They begin doing that. Going into all the world and bringing other people into the flock. And Jesus says, they will listen to My voice. There will be one flock because there is only one shepherd. The goal was never a Gentile church over here and a Jewish church over there. The goal was never a black church over there and a white church over here. For Jesus to be your good shepherd, there must be one flock. Divisions in the church. Divisions in the church are never Jesus' ideas. Whether that's about denominations or whether that's about a little clique over here that doesn't like that little clique over here. It's never Jesus' idea. It's never part of His plan to separate Christians from each other. Anyone who tells you you can't fellowship with those people because they're not of us when those people are following Jesus or, or anyone who tries to sell you on their perfect church because of the people they keep out, the people that they exclude, is going against Jesus' plan for one flock. You hear the force there in verse 16. I must bring them in. You hear that force? I must bring them in. There will be one flock just as there is one shepherd. I'll warn you. Sheep get messy. right? Sheep get messy. Flocks are messy. Guess what churches are? Messy. They get messy. But there is no flock without unity, and the shepherd requires one flock. We do not allow ourselves to be divided. We do not allow ourselves to be pulled apart. When the good shepherd calls us, he calls us together. In this little book, Philip Keller tells, he continues telling about that tenant sheep farmer that had the pasture next to his. He didn't care for his flock. And he reflects a little later in the book. He says, sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock. They require endless attention and meticulous care. I want you to hear that. Not for the animals, <laughs> but hear that for each other. Hear that for yourself. Jesus is the Good Shepherd because He knows that you require endless attention and meticulous care. So trust Him. Trust Him as He leads you. Trust Him as He leads us. Trust Him as He leads us together. Verses 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves Me, because I lay down My life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge have I received from my Father. There is safety in the presence of the shepherd because he loves you. 
He knows you. He knows your name. And He knows your need. And He knows that we need each other. He calls us together as His flock. And He calls us His own. He calls us by name. And He calls us together. All week long, I've been working on this sermon. And I, I was trying to find a picture. Right? Trying to find a picture of that stained glass window. And i got to be honest with you, back when we had the old building, I took a lot of pictures, but I didn't catalog them very good and I didn't label them at all. So I looked through hundreds of pictures looking for that picture of that stained glass window and it drove me nuts. It took a couple of days. I finally came across the picture. Sermon was done. Sermon was done on Monday, by the way, though. But I still had to find that picture. Found it a couple days later. And then yesterday morning, I was having coffee. Having breakfast, and I get a text message from Jana Sweeney, Jana Walker Sweeney, and she says, Look what I found. And I said, That's weird. <laughs> Day of her wedding, and the photographer has done a little photoshopping here because some of you are saying, That's not how it looks. Yeah, the photographer photoshopped the good shepherd behind her and her husband on, the, on their wedding day. And I said, Jana, this is weird. I looked for that picture for several days. I finally found it. And you sent, you sent it to me on Saturday? What are the odds of all the things? And she said, I think that's a God thing. I said, I'm going to agree with you. I think it is. And I thought, I think that's a beautiful picture not only of marriage, of the two becoming one, and of the two following the shepherd together. But I think it's a beautiful picture of who we are supposed to be as the church, as the bride of Christ. In the book of Revelation, that feast that we have in heaven, that feast that we have together, it is shown as the marriage feast of the Lamb, right? And it's a reminder that what we're about to do today doesn't just connect us to the one who loved us so much that he gave himself, that he laid his life down for us, which was his to lay down and his to take up. It doesn't just remind us of, a, of the body that was broken because the bread reminds us of the body broken. It doesn't just remind us of the blood shed because that's why the cup does. It reminds us that this is for us together. That we are at this marriage feast. We are invited to this marriage feast. We participate because we have a shepherd who loves us very much, who gives us everything. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and then we will take together. Let's, let's pray. Father, we praise You. We thank You. And in those moments when we have felt very alone, in those moments when we have been very aware of our need, when we have been very aware that we need endless attention, and meticulous care. There has been a shepherd watching over us. There has been a shepherd caring for us. I thank you that we know that not just because of the presence of Jesus. And, and there are times when, when his nearness is so evident, we can feel it. We can feel the power of those prayers. Father, I thank you that we know it because of the presence of the flock. Because there are people in this community who love Jesus and follow Him, and we follow Him together and we care for each other. And so we thank You for this 
amazing gift, this memorial that we participate in today that not only tells us where we've been, but where we're going, a marriage feast of the Lamb, and it tells us where we are today, the Good Shepherd and His flock. Lord, let us never forget His presence and let us never forget the love that we have to offer each other. Let's not forget that there are those who are desperate for that kind of love. They're desperate for the presence of the Good Shepherd in their lives. Lord, we can come alongside them and we can show them His love. Thank You for the bread that reminds us that a that the body was broken, the blood that reminds us that the penalty was paid. We thank you that we take this, not just in remembrance of what he has done, but remembrance of the hope that we share together in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.